All right. Well, we are going to begin a fun time tonight. I'm going to tell you this is a personal passion. Anytime we study uh, church history in particular, it's just one of, I like history. I'm a history buff. I really love church history. And so um, I, I'm going to have fun with it personally. And I think if, if your teacher is having fun, then hopefully that will translate to y'all having fun. Now, um, I do encourage uh, questions because this is something that um, there's so much to it, to the, Re- to the Protestant Reformation. Some of this stuff you've probably heard mentioned in sermons or, or what, and, and some of this stuff you're probably hearing for the first time. So don't be afraid to ask a question. And uh, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is cover uh, tonight and next Wednesday. I think we can cover pretty sufficiently everything, um, or at least to get you started well. On the third night, uh, we'll, we'll begin watching the film, Luther. And that will probably take at least two nights um, to, to, to accomplish that. So, uh, the first thing I say right off the bat, anytime you're studying, uh, big events, um, it's, it's like drinking water from a fire hydrant. I don't know how much you're going to want, but yeah, I promise you, you're going to get wet. Okay. So, um, we're just going to kind of start at the beginning and, um, and then work our way forward a little bit. Where's the beginning? We have to begin with the Roman Catholic church. Um, where do we go to in scripture? Well, there's not a whole lot of scripture to support what the Roman Catholic church was doing. <laughs> I mean, there's no Roman, there, there's no scripture to support the Roman Catholic priesthood. Uh, you can't go there. Uh, the way they were doing baptism, you can't go there. I mean, a lot of the practices, you just, you just hard pressed purgatory. You, there's not a scripture reference for that because it, it just isn't the case. Um, I can give you plenty of scriptures. Matter of fact, Hebrews on Sunday night, I'm actually going to mention purgatory because our text on Sunday night counters uh, directly uh, the whole thought that you can have uh, multiple occasions to get things right uh, before you die or even after you die. The, the main thing about the Protestant Reformation is, is knowing that your ideas have consequences. That's a lesson you need to learn personally. Your thoughts up here rarely, rarely uh, do they not in some form or fashion translate to here, your hand? What you think up here somehow is going to work its way out in your mouth, by your hand, uh, by what you do. Um, and so you better be careful as to what you believe. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 25, we're going to give an account for every reckless word we've ever said. You know, we get in trouble with our mouths, I think, a lot more really than, than, than other things. James says that it's a, you know, the, 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 the tongue, who can, who can bridle the tongue? Who can even tame it? It can't be, you see. Uh, so many scriptures uh, about our words and the tongue, but, you know, it's by our tongues we speak and we can convey these ideas. And our ideas, I promise you, they have consequences. There are three big areas that the Protestant Reformation... Um, had an influence in terms of ideas. First of all, theology. Just, okay. What do I mean by theology? The word theology has two different meanings. First, the general meaning is just, it's just anything related to the study of God and the things about God and the effects of God and, 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 and it has different subsets of study. That's general. Specifically, 
theology is the study only of God. Okay, so, you know, what you believe about God, right? Uh, Another one is going to be soteriology. Okay, Uh, that is the big word for um, the study of our salvation. How, How is one justified and redeemed? How does that process look? Where does that process begin? Who is ultimately responsible for that process? All these guys and the Roman Catholic Church is all over that issue right there. And I can promise you what you think here and how you believe is going to impact the way you handle evangelism. Okay? I believe the Bible says, because the Bible does say, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Blessed are the feet of those who are going to take the gospel and the word of God. I believe that, the, that salvation begins with God. I believe it begins with a work of God first. Therefore, it is imperative that I, as a believer must share the gospel and share the word of God so the Lord can do his work. If I believe that it's just, it's just a man thing and you can do what you want to do, then I'm just going to sit back and rest. Let it be your own deal. I think we're, you, you can see where we go with this. It, I mean, how you view salvation depends, uh, is going to affect what you do. And then how you do, how, what you believe about this is also going to affect ecclesiology. That is the doctrine of the church. Okay. All right. Let me give you one big issue of ecclesiology that all these guys were, were arguing about. The Lord's Supper. Okay. Uh, they, they, not just um, the elements and, and what happens with the elements. We'll, we'll get to that at some point in time. But should the Lord's Supper be open or closed? Let's, let's dialogue about this for a second. Let's define open and closed. Open means anybody can do it. Then you have closed. Now, you, you kind of have closed one and a closed two. Closed one says um, it's, it's closed only to those who are born-again believers. Closed two says only members of a local congregation can partake. Now, I was taught in seminary by some very learned individuals who really argued the case for closed number two. Why is that? Because they said, well, what are you affirming by the Lord's Supper? The Bible says you, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Part of the Lord's Supper is that it's an ordinance of the church. That means, and how do you become a member of the church? You have to be born again. So participation in the Lord's Supper is our church's declaration that you must be born again. So how do we know if you're born again? Well, church membership is one way that we go about it. And they say, well, we don't want to, we can't just affirm that anybody walking through the doors, they can just say, well, I'm saved. All right, well, go ahead and take it. Let's just restrict it to our church because that's who we're going to be accountable to. Now, that's close number two. Okay. Local congregation. The local congregation. Because you're... Yes. Yes. What they're saying is 
But if XYZ person comes walking through the door and they say, yeah, I'm a member of so, so bad, but nobody knows them. We never heard of this person before. He's just saying what it, we are justifying his testimony. And it may be a lie. You see, uh, most Southern Baptist churches, as a matter of fact, I don't know of any Southern Baptist or any other Baptist type church that practices closed number two communion. We typically practice closed number one. Um, as I see it in the scriptures, um, if, if, on a, if on a Wednesday night business meeting, y'all said, Pastor, I feel like we need to do closed number two. I'd do it in a heartbeat. I would. Um, however, I think closed number one is sufficient. And I believe when we focus on the restrictions that the scripture gives... Um, you know, we just, we just have to leave that up between, uh, uh, that person and the Lord. If it turns out I am wrong, uh, I will take full responsibility. You know, if we stand before the Lord and we realize, yeah, we should have been doing it the other way. We're going to, you know, uh, have to deal with that then. But, um, I see it sufficient as saying, if you are born again, a member of the church of Christ globally, um, then yes, by all means, you can partake. But they, they had some issues over the Lord's Supper, okay? And that affected ecclesiology, the way they were handling and doing church, okay? All right, y'all got those terms? Excellent, thank you. By the way, I, uh, the handout you've got is, is first of all, um, stuff about Luther in particular. I'm going to talk to you um, about the Reformation in general for a little bit, Okay? Something else we need to know about the Reformation is this. God is never confused over theology. Okay? Uh, he knows what is right. I mean, he created it all. It's man that has gonna, that's going to be picking it apart, that sees what's, do, what's being done, and, and we're going to go to the Scriptures with it, you see. Um, and, and, and basically, the, the, the big question is, will the Word be sufficient, you see? Um, you talk about your beliefs having consequences. Um, how many of you believe that the word of God is fully sufficient and authoritative over your life? Raise your hands. Keep them up. I just want to see, just make sure. Okay. One, two, just a handful of people say, no, it's not fully authoritative. Okay. That's fine. All right. Uh, the scripture says, F come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay. All right. That's clearly a uh, evangelistic slash discipleship verse. Um, how many of you uh, in the past year led someone to the Lord, to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Anybody? One, two, three. Three only. Okay. It's not looking good. How many of you then of the three, or how many raised your hand in case I missed one, not only led that person to the Lord, but you also invested some discipleship into them? Raise your hand. One, two, three. Okay. How many of you uh, of us now had that person, after they were discipled, they go on to lead someone to the Lord? Okay. So far, I don't know, so I can't raise my hand on that one. So um, if your life ended tonight, well, well hold on a second, let's just let's kind of back up. If the word is so sufficient, 
then how many of you, why were you not raising your hands over the evangelism part? If, if it's efficient, you see. Okay. Now I love you. The Lord loves you. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. Um, but we're going to talk about a generation of men who they took everything seriously. If they're, if they're going to say the word is sufficient, that means what the word says we mu- we are obligated to do. There's absolutely no no wiggle room. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe, but let me, let me say this. Uh, I've only been a believer for a couple of decades and I've done a lot of watering, but I've also done a lot of reaping. See, eventually you're going to be doing some reaping. Okay. Point is we don't have wiggle room over evangelism, period. If you want some good opportunities, come, come with us. Uh, you know, during the summertime, we uh, suspend our Tuesday night visitation, but that's a good night to come out and, and you can share gospel explicitly, and uh, and you'll see some good good results. And uh, um, let's see, let me think of I think of some other things. Um, church purity, that's another big one. Uh, the first time, matter of fact, the only two times Jesus mentioned, the, the, one of the two times Jesus mentioned the church before the book of Acts and the gospel uh, was Matthew 18. He says the church is going to be pure. You know, uh, this is church discipline. Um, you and I both know that church discipline being practiced in the Baptist church is, is woefully inadequate. Um, thankfully, our deacons right now are in a process of training then that same training will spill over to our congregation uh, in, uh, in the near future about how to practice corporate church discipline. You know, how do we, how do we, uh, you know, how do we you know, deal with the sins of our church members? Uh, they, you know, they're supposed to be dealt with as humans, as God. Uh, Psalm 23 about that. Uh, and then how do you go about it? So, yeah, I mean, this is, we're, we're talking about sufficiency here, and these guys are fighting it. When I mean fighting over, I'm not saying that they were fighting it in just one day. I'm just saying they were fighting over that because from the only religious institution going on at that time who says that my word and the Pope is equivalent to the word of God, and then my word becomes equivalent, I can actually get away with that. And, and Jesus says, no, this is not.
I do not tell where you, I cannot tell US one to go a certain place. It's going to go where I'm where, where it's already telling me to go. Okay. Same is true with any road. I can't change the course. I must go along with it. So through the years, uh, the Roman Catholic Church is well. It's having some issues. Um, What's going on? There, there are several issues. By, by the, the, the 16th century, several things had happened. Number one was an issue with the laity. The, the laity. What, what do I mean? Um, the, the fact that um, the, the Roman Catholic Church has, has now invested uh, its, its teaching into the observance of relics. Relics. What does relics mean? Well, relics are, are just things, okay, like this ink pen. Um, I can tell you, or uh, if I was, if we were living back then, I'd say this was the pen that uh, that the, 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 the disciple Mark used to pen his gospel, or part of the gospel, or whatever I'd wanted to say. And uh, there's veneration that must be paid to this pen because it is, is special. Um, hmm? veneration. veneration. Just observe it and, and lift it up. Ah, you know, this is Mark's pen. The church, the, the castle church in Wittenberg had over 5,000 relics, in quotation marks. Among them, they said that they had 35 fragments of the cross of Christ. They had milk from the Virgin Mary's breast. And they also said they had a piece of the burning bush of Moses. Well, what are you going to do with all this stuff? If it indeed was. As a matter of fact, years ago on eBay, you could purchase ashes from the cross of Christ. Because what the story is told is that the cross was eventually burned. It was mixed with some mud. And they stamped it into these clay coin looking things. Like miniature versions of those shooting clays that you, you know. And you could go on eBay and buy them. Have a piece of the cross of Christ. You know, that's, that'll bless your heart. Um, purgatory. Purgatory was the Catholic's church of dealing with the issue of unresolved sin when a believer dies. So, what? Oh. You know, eventually, eventually. But, but, but purgatory said that, well, when, when you die, if you have unconfessed sin, uh, then you're kind of in a holding tank. You're there until you can pay off that sin debt, you see. How long does that take? Well, it depends on the sin. Okay. And then they got really smart. They said, we've got all of these relics. And we've got all this sin that's unaccounted for from our... Oh, and by the way, something they still do today. They don't do the relics thing um, so, so much anymore, but... Uh, prayers for the dead. I went to, how many of you ever been to a uh, Catholic service before? You observe that. Part of that, you, you probably remember, they did prayers for the dead. Okay. Uh, we attended a mass at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., and part of their service were 
prayers for the day. By the way, they do. They uh, believe in open communion. You can be anybody and believe anything and take part in communion. But um, here's here's what they had to do. They they said, well, we've got all these relics. You know, we've got all of these items. Um, why don't we? And we need money. Okay, we need money. Um, you know, I'll, you know, I encourage giving. I do. I, I encourage giving uh, to support her. But, but you know, Roman Catholic Church was on a spending spree. They wanted to, to finish St. Peter's Basilica. We got to have money to do it. How are we going to get all this money? Ah, let's use the indulgences. All right. Uh, there was a guy in Roman Catholic Church. His name was John Tetzel. Old John Tetzel was smooth. He was slick. He said, here's what we can do. All right, we're going to take the pen used to write the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to put it in a little box up here at the front or wherever, maybe off on the side room. And uh, here's what you can do. For X amount of money, you can come... And pray to the relic or kiss the relic or whatever. Uh, I know that there was uh, one particular practice was climbing steps on your knees. You, know. you purchase this relic, this piece of paper saying that you've done that. And it's going to buy you years off of purgatory for your loved one. All you got to do is fill in their name in the blank. And it's already got the years that's taken off. Can you name one big problem with this? I mean, I, other than the whole selling of things. But there's one big problem about this. How many years do we know that they're in purgatory? You don't. You, you don't know. You, there's no way to know. Why? I mean, Well, I mean, you can make it up. I mean, that's what they did with the whole idea of purgatory anyway. It was made up. So, yeah, you know, problem is... I wouldn't want to buy too many. If only if only needed 110 years for, you know, for dear aunt, whatever, you know, but I did 200 years worth. Where's that other 100 years going? Will it apply to me? No, because I already filled her name in the blank. I can't erase it. It's non-transferable. I was kind of making that part up. But the real, the, the real problem was, how do we know? I mean, how many years? John Tetzel didn't want to worry about that. Just come buy the, you know, purchase the observance of this relic and whatever we require. This is what he said, a very famous statement by him. He said, as soon as the coin and the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Here's what Martin Luther said about John Tetzel. Or about his belief. He had grace and power from the Pope to offer forgiveness. Even if someone had slept with the Holy Virgin Mary. The mother of God. As long as a contribution would be put into the coffer. He would not want to trade places in heaven with St. Peter. For he had redeemed more souls with his indulgences. Than Peter with his sermons. Now, if you listen closely you could tell the sarcasm there. That's what Luther was good at by the way. He was... Very sarcastic guy. And so, 
you know, you had this going on, and, and then uh, Luther has a, a, a realization as he's reading the Bible. See, he, he also had troubles emotionally. He had troubles in his life. And uh, his, his mentor said, you need to go to the Word of God, too, in your Bible study. And he came, upon, came upon the book of Romans, of all the books to, to, uh, to come upon, he starts reading Paul's epistle to the Romans. And there's a little old verse in there that began being a thorn in his side. And you know what that verse was? The just shall live by faith. He had problems with that verse because that went against everything he had been taught. He, I mean, that whole verse, and he, and he was taking in everything that was going on at the time. How is that faith? How is it faith, me purchasing something on a piece of paper and observing a relic that may or may not even be true? How is that faith? It doesn't even translate into the whole idea of purgatory. And so, by God's grace and him leading him and he began to get to work. And remember, this was all over, uh, all about salvation. Salvation. He did have a run-in with, with, with the whole idea of the, the relics. Um, uh, in 1510, he went to Rome and actually participated. This was prior to his realization of what was really going on. And, and um, uh, he, he visits a place called the Scala Sancta, mean, meaning sacred stairs where he climbed the stairs on his hands and knees, praying for his grandfather's release from purgatory. As he was growing and learning about his faith, he, uh, he realized that he had to do something about it. Nailing the 95 theses upon the, the door in the church in Wittenberg is what now set off this reformation as it was set off. And as the, the fires of reformation grew, other people were brought into it. Other people were leading their own reformations at the time. Now, what do we mean by reformation? We just simply mean they wanted to reform the Catholic church. They didn't want to split. They didn't want to leave it. They just wanted to change it. And you had it going on in different areas. Luther's work was in Germany. So Martin Luther, that's where his work was doing. In England, you have a guy by the name of John Knox doing the same thing, fighting some of the same battles. In the Swiss slash French uh, uh, portion, it was John Calvin. We're going to talk about him hopefully next week. Uh, he and Luther are, some of my, are, are my two favorite uh, guys uh, in studying. You had the Swiss brethren, which actually broke off from the, from the uh, uh, German Swiss. The, these guys were once together. They had a split. One of the things they split over was the, the whole idea or, or the, the practices of the Lord's Supper. But you had, got a, had a guy by the name of Balthazar Hubmeier, who was doing the Swiss, Swiss brethren, and uh, uh, Ulrich Zwingli doing the German Swiss section. And... Uh, um, they all agreed on more things um, than they disagreed on. If they disagreed on something, it, was, it would be a major tenet of the faith. In other words, they wouldn't fight battles that don't make a difference in eternity. Uh, they, if they disagreed on something, it would be over issues that could divide fellowships, you see. 
Um, you know, for instance, um, baptism is, is one of the things that could divide uh, even our church. In other words, if half of us believe in a, in a, uh, uh, a pedo-baptism, that is, we, could, we, could, uh, we believe in the, in the uh, uh, baptism of infants and babies, and that it does confer some sort of grace, uh, that will be problematic for us, you see. And uh, you could not mix those two types of beliefs. And there, and there are other examples I could give for sake of time. I won't. Um, so with, with, uh, uh, with Luther... I'm going to go to the second page of your handout, just highlighting a, a few things. His biggest issue was salvation. I mean, how I, I mean, what I believe about salvation has everything to do with how I live. If I believe that I'm saved by works, then how do you think I'm going to live? By works. If, if I believe that I have to, to begin the regeneration process... In my own heart and life, if it's up to me, um, boy, that, that says a whole lot about authority right there. But Letter A, salvation was the process of becoming pure and righteous. And since we sin every day, we can never relax to be assured of salvation, but must continually fight to keep clean. That, that, cleanse. that was what he was wrestling with. That's, that was the view of that day. That's not our current view. That's what, this, that's what they were fighting against. This, this process was only possible by grace. Well, okay, we can agree with that, which was taught as only being available through the sacraments of the church. Uh-oh, now we have a problem. For those of you here familiar with the Catholic faith, the sacraments that they still teach today are what? Can some of you name them? In other words, that which they believe dispenses grace. Last rites. We call that in Latin as extreme unction. Anybody else? Name one. Lord's Supper, confession, marriage, church membership. Okay. Being a part of the Roman Catholic Church, all of those things, they say it dispenses grace. How do you mean it dispenses grace? Well, think of it like a pharmacy. There's only one person behind that counter. That's the pharmacist who has the authority to dispense your medicine. It is the Pope. Translating his power through the bishops and cardinals into the local priests who have the authority to dispense the grace through those sacraments. Letter C, but one's reception of grace was continually dependent on one's cooperation with God. That is doing one's best. I just do my best. That's what I can do. Unfortunately, a lot of folks in Baptist churches believe that way, even still. If I cooperate with God. Let me tell you the word that we need to change. It's not cooperation. It's submission to God. That's the big difference. Letter D. Good works such as fasting, praying, going on pilgrimages, and viewing of the relics were seen as especially meritorious. Good works were often attached to the sacraments, uh, sacrament of penance, which involved contrition of the heart, confession of the mouth, and satisfaction of work. That was the, the confession that, uh, that uh, Miss Faye was just, just talking about. When you go into the booth, you forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been seven days since my last confession, and I will name off my sins. Right? You know, I stole a piece of bubble gum, or I killed somebody, or I did, you know, whatever in between. 
And the priest would then confer a forgiveness, but it had to be, first of all, it had to be contrite. I mean, I really had to mean it. Okay? And if I really meant it, then that, then that means that I was, Baptists use that language today incorrectly. If you pray this prayer and you really mean it, you'll be saved. Yikes. That's some dangerous territory when it comes to the true biblical doctrine of salvation. If, if I just truly believe it, then that means I'm regenerate. That says nothing about what the work of God is going to be doing according to John chapter 6 and other texts. And then he'll have us to pray the rosary. Hail Mary, full of grace, you know. And I got to pray that rosary, you know, however many times they say do it. That's what he's talking about right here. Letter F, dying with a mortal sin, unconfessed, doomed one to hell. Dying with a venial sin or, or a less severe. If it's, if it's a major sin, then yeah, they're, they're messed up. But, it, but if it's some minor, then they'll just go to purgatory and we've got to work through that. Letter G, but the temporal penalty for sin could be remitted even for the one who had, who had already died by the actions of someone on earth. And I've already explained to, to you about how you could do the uh, buying of a relic and, 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 uh, and the selling of indulgences. And why? Letter H, it was to uh, the, the funding for the uh, building and completing of St. Peter's Basilica. So Roman numeral two, in Luther in particular, what he was doing was he was just trying to work his way through all this stuff. Um, why was he any different than the, I don't know why. I really don't. Uh, I don't know if I have that answer. Why was Luther so different? Why did he, why did he buck the trend when other people were just going along? Maybe one of the reasons was a backbone. Maybe he was just the one who had the strongest backbone at the time. That could have been so. I mean, because he did have his sympathizers very quickly. Um, he had those who hated him, but as soon as Martin Luther started standing up, there were people who were kind of along with him. And, and maybe in a more quiet stance, they supported him. Yeah, for such a time as this, Esther 4.14. He tried all the ways prescribed by the church, but he found no relief for his soul. I mean, he did everything the church said, and he just, it just didn't feel right. So he began to, he began to find the, the, the answer when on October the 22nd in 1512, in obedience to the orders of the superior, he began his teaching career as a lecturer on the Bible. And that's when he came across, the just shall live by faith. This is when he understood the righteousness of God, and he began to have his breakthrough because it answered for him or began to answer two important questions. The first was, what was it? I mean, what is it when you have the righteousness of God imputed to your account or to your life? I mean, that has to mean something. If I am living by my own righteousness, then that don't count. So he began to investigate this whole righteousness issue and how it was counted to us. This, this, in my opinion, is one of the greatest mysteries of the love of God that I know of in the scriptures. Why his righteousness, um, 
well, not so much the, the why forensically we know through, through the shed blood of Christ, but why God let it be that way. I, that's a big deal. So not just the what was it, but the when was it. Now, I'm going to tell you, if we really want to understand salvation, this will go back to what Miss Linda was talking about earlier when we talk about those who planting, watering, and, and reaping, okay, all three along that spectrum, that kind of plays a part in understanding when was it, when is the righteousness of Christ imputed, and how was that transfer made, okay, there's a lot of study going on, especially now, there's been some study on it before, well, I mean, all throughout the history of the church, people have had their comments about it. Um, does our, you know, do, do we cooperate in any way? I mean, is there, is there some sort of posture that we have to get in first, in lo- not physical posture, but just some sort of emotional or spiritual posture before God starts to work? Or does God start to work no matter what we are? I don't know about you, but I have seen enough people redeemed of the Lord that covers such a spectrum of behavior, I almost have to lean towards God works in a way that I don't understand. Okay? Because when he can take the church boy or the church girl that grew up in church but is lost as a day is long, and they can radically save them, or you can take the mass murderer who has nothing but, you know, nothing but evil... Well, I mean, not like that other person didn't have evil, but I mean, just, you just see it, just despicableness, you know, and they can be radically saved. It has to be something of God. I don't know how to explain it any other way. And so he begins to understand this and, and, and this is going to become his life's work to show other people and boy, it's going to catch fire. So, um, the Reformation doctrine, that the main doctrine, Roman numeral three there, is justification by grace alone. Out of that flows a lot of other doctrines and a lot of other teachings. Calvin is going to be one of those guys. Now, now all of them do this. As a matter of fact, I mean, for, for crying out loud, I mean, you know, many of these guys um, are forerunners of, of entire denominations. Anybody know any Lutherans? <laughs> you know? Okay. But what we like about Calvin is that he begins to articulate this theology in ways that all the other guys knew it, but there were, well, first of all, Calvin was a theologian to a middle class, whereas the rest of these guys were more lower class, um, you know. But, but, but Calvin was a writer. He was a thinker. And so he was taking everything that we were teaching he was taking everything of, of the reformers that was being taught. He says, okay, we, I want to write this down. Let's articulate it. He had it published into a book called Institutes of the Christian Religion. It's about as big as a phone book. It reads about like a phone book. <laughs> okay, And um, uh, I, I, I refer to it only when uh, I know a place in there that I can go to to pick out something, you know, 
Um, you know, the, the index is a pretty cool thing because you can look for certain keywords. So that's, you know, that's how I use it. Uh, it's, it's a pretty deep, significant thing. But all these guys, yes, they were all writers. I, I mean, for crying out loud, Luther, Luther did a, a translation of the Bible in German. Because he wanted the common man to be able to read the language in their own native tongue. Which I believe that. Which is odd because he also said reading the Bible in translation is like kissing the bride through the veil. No, thank you. So, um, oh well, that's Luther. He was very fond of the old L too. So he might have said those two statements, you know, while he was, you know. Um, let's talk about justification by, by grace alone. It, it's, it helps to separate the idea of justification and sanctification. Because the issue of sanctification was one of the reasons why uh, the doctrine of purgatory was, was invented. What I teach as sanctification is now but not yet. Now there is, at the moment of justification, there is a now moment of sanctification where I'm set apart. But I'm also on a continual track of sanctification that is growing closer to the Lord and maturing in my faith as long as I'm living. So it's a now but not yet. And then uh, justification is a declaratory act. God declares the ungodly righteous. It's a reference to Romans 4, 5. This declaration is made only by God's grace apart from any human cooperation. Um, in other words, the human, our, and in our sin, we are unable to be in a position where God would favor us to dispense his grace. Do you understand how I mean by that? In other words, there's nothing that I can do first that God would say, oh, okay, well, this guy's worthy. I'm going to pour my spirit upon him and, and, you know, lead someone to share with him about the gospel, plant a seed, whatever, and, and he'll be saved, you know. Luther taught that sinful humans were unable to do anything to contribute to their justification before God were totally depraved. And there was a controversy. Uh, one guy with Erasmus, um, but once that came to light, there were other people who had issues with that, um, uh, you had, um, um, oh, let me think, um, uh, Pelagius was another guy, but Pelagius said that, that we did, he didn't believe in, 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 in the effect of Adam's sin upon us. Uh, then you had a group after him called the semi-Pelagians. They said, well, yeah, we believe in, in original, they call it original sin. We believe in original sin, but it's not as bad um, as, as everybody's making it out to be, uh, people are still good. They can still do good things. Okay. Well, back up. We're not talking about the ability to do good. We're talking about the position of your heart in respect to the righteousness of God. We're only talking about the imputation of righteousness. We're not talking about the ability to do good. <clears throat> okay. Take a convicted, uh, child molester. You put them in prison. Okay. In prison, they can wash the laundry. They can, they can do good things. They can model good behavior, right? And that what you, uh, they're going to they're get out based on what? Good behavior. We're not talking about that. That's not what this whole issue is about. We're talking about your position before God. Is there anything you can do? No. 
Grace is, letter D, grace is received by faith alone and apart from the sacraments of the church. It, is no long, it no longer has a monopoly as the only distributor of God's grace. But is all this a lie? Some people taught that it was. Hence, we had the counter-reformation. You had the, the Protestant Reformation. Then you had the, the Roman Catholic Church fighting back. How can God declare righteous those who are not? The basis for justification, though, is Christ's righteousness. And it's imputed to the believer. Imputed to the believer. That text is in Philippians chapter 3. That text is one that I definitely want to read to you. Verse 9. Well, let me start with verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain my that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, a.k.a. stuff I do, but that which comes through faith in Christ, through faith, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings Becoming like him in his death, that that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not only did he see the righteousness of God as something that was imputed in him for eternal life, he saw that as something in him that says, if we're, well, what the text is actually teaching, if I may exegete it, and we're already past eight o'clock, but if I could just say one quick thing about this text, he is equivocating. Righteousness of God being imputed to the believer and that believer to have that same identity. You're going to be suffering just like Jesus was. Jesus said you're going to suffer just like I am. If you're going to have my righteousness. 